0: today. Visit douglas.ca slash to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash Canada
3: When you're 20 and you're doing coke and it's just like, wow, this is like me dipped in me sauce. And then you do it at my age and you just go, I can't talk. I'm just going to stand here with golf balls for eyes, staring at people and being a bummer. Let it go, dude. Those are some wild years. Let it go.
0: Today on the show, an oral history of Vice magazine. Vice magazine. I mean, today it's not even really a magazine, is it? It's, it's probably the biggest content company to come out of Canada ever. It's an advertising company. They make videos. They're on the web. They have partnerships with HBO and CNN. Rupert Murdoch bought a piece of them. It's valued at $1.4 billion. I mean, the magazine at this point is the least of it. I mean, you can't even find the magazine anymore. I mean, beyond even the business success of Vice is the cultural influence. For good or for ill, it started the whole modern iteration of hipsterdom. But some of us remember it from before it was a magazine, when it was on newsprint, when it was called Voice of Montreal. Today, you're going to hear from some of those people. You're going to hear from some people who were there at the beginning, in the 90s, in Montreal, before Williamsburg was a thing, before all that— Now, there are probably going to be some questions about my impartiality here. Let me settle them now. I have none. Like just about everybody I know who lived in Montreal at that time, I had a handful of run-ins with Vice magazine. In fact, Vice was the first magazine to ever publish an article by me. I had a piece— in their first glossy issue. And I'll never forget, I stopped by to collect my 50 bucks that they owed me for the piece. Their offices were around the corner from my place in Old Montreal. And I, I, I grabbed some groceries and then I went and, and walked up the stairs and, and walked into Vice's loft where I found one of the three Vice founders, Gavin McInnes. And Gavin ignored my requests for payment entirely. And he, he just zeroed in on my groceries I had this big jumbo value pack of toilet paper sticking out of one of my, my plastic bags and, and Gavin just focused in on it and he kind of scrunched up his nose and asked, do you shit? He said it in the same way that like a friend's older brother might look at your t-shirt and say, do you like Pearl jam? And, uh, you know, minutes later I was back on the street. I didn't have my 50 bucks and I had this sort of vague sense of, of shame and, and vulnerability and, uh, and that's when I realized that Gavin had convinced me that pooing isn't cool. And I realized at that moment that he's a genius. That wasn't the end of it, as you'll soon hear. You will not hear today from Vice founders Shane Smith or Sarush Alvi. I asked, Vice never replied. No big shocker there. But you will hear from Gavin McInnes. Gavin McInnes, who is no longer with Vice, whose name, in fact, has been removed from the masthead, he's no longer listed as a founder of Vice. He is now uh, operating uh, a small advertising firm in New York, and that's where I interviewed him. It was not an easy interview. Uh, Gavin produced a bottle of Maker's Mark at the beginning, and we went from there. It was very hard keeping him on track, but it answered a lot of questions I had about the origins of Vice, and you're going to hear all of that in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity. And they are doing cutting-edge Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen... I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca/canadaland to claim this offer. Well, Canada Land is brought to you exclusively by FreshBooks.com. FreshBooks.com provides super simple invoicing. It is the fastest way to invoice clients to track time and manage expenses online. If you have a small business, if you are a freelancer or contractor or entrepreneur, FreshBooks.com is the way to go. Check it out. So, Gavin, um... You and I have a long and complicated history. We've had a rough past, man. I feel like we're beyond me
3: apologizing too. It's like why bother? It's like a deadbeat dad. I'm never gonna be your dad. Yeah, but we
0: can at least be cordial. But you, you don't remember me. Yeah, I do. Didn't I draw a cover for your poetry book or something? That was another guy. Oh uh, Jesus Christ! No, I didn't have a poetry book.
3: Which one were you again? Did we fight?
4: Well, my name is Robbie Dillon. My name is Rupert Bottenberg. Uh,
5: My name is Lisa Gabriel.
4: My name is Jess Lowe. I was the first official editor of Vice magazine.
1: I actually helped deliver the first issue of Voice before they dropped the O and became Vice.
4: I was a
2: columnist. I dated Gavin very briefly. Gavin was my boyfriend. He dumped me. And as part of my heartbreak, I went out with Shane, who was his best friend. That was like the worst relationship of my life. That
1: was at the start of Vice. Uh, Gavin um, initially some interest in sort of like making a name for himself as a, as, a, as a comic artist. I don't think he really put the discipline into developing the craft of drawing. But he was it was very clear right away. He was an extremely funny guy. Shane
2: had been traveling in Greece and Hungary. Although now he says he was trading currency in Bosnia, which is the story that you would read in The New Yorker.
5: Was Gavin like his boyfriend? So much fun. When it was good. When it was good, it was great. But he was also completely unhinged and totally, you know, I couldn't trust him and all that other stuff.
2: Sarouche had been in... Rehab, and when he was in rehab, he decided that he wanted to start a magazine.
4: You know, in those days, like it, it, it was really seat of the pants. Like, I, I know now it's this big multi million dollar, you know, enterprise, but it really was. It was fucking three guys living in a loft, you know, like li- they were living in the loft and working in the loft. So that, you know, Shane and, and Gavin had their beds and a little fridge and a shelf with, with canned goods.
5: And Gavin slept on this gross bouton with like cowboy and Indian wallpaper from an ancient era on the back. Like, you you couldn't set design that now, right? Because it would just look so fake, but they lived, like, they were feral.
0: Describe what Montreal was like back then in the mid-late 90s. (laughs) It was
3: so fucking cheap. I mean, you hear about Lou Reed's New York, and he was still spending $800 a month for an apartment. Yeah. But in our sort of Lou Reed era of Montreal in the 90s, you could be paying 100 bucks a month. You could. And beer at the Tech was 4 bucks for a pichet. Popcorn was free. Popcorn was free. So you would do pretty, or you could DJ there and get free beer and make 20 bucks. Right. So, uh, yeah, you could sort of subsist there for a long time. And I think it, it invited a lot of weird artist types. A lot of fucking, like Rick Trembles was a guy, and I think he feels like we ripped him off. But I don't think he understands how weird his cartoons are. It was like, dude, I know you think the world owes you something, but if you were in the real free market, you'd be homeless. Mm-hmm. But when we started, we had to go on welfare to get the job.
2: Gavin was on the welfare and I think got some kind of credit for working on this project. Shane got involved and started selling ads. Voice of Montreal was a workfare program. So it was like this idea that that project was going to kind of pull them up by the bootstrap.
0: Kevin, I want to try to clear something up. You've written that it irritates you when people say that Vice began as a welfare project. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Well, because
3: it implies that that welfare helped us and we needed it to start. It was actually the opposite of that. It was a hindrance. Uh In Montreal, the way they treated the Anglos was you're not bilingual if you have an accent in French. Like, I can speak French, but when I say humeur, it's not a perfect accent. Yeah. So... Ergo, I'm not bilingual. So, the only jobs there for Anglophones were Bike Messenger, which I did for five years and almost died. Yeah. And some sort of government program. That's yeah. it. Because they had sort of closed off all the gaps with their stupid socialist fucking fascist long de Québécois system. So, we went in the back door, which was our only choice went out like a zit into their stupid fucking... Voice of Montreal was a multicultural paper that was supposed to document the Polish parade is in January and the Haitian uh, Caribbean fucking bongo parade is... Uh, uh, we'll be playing oil drums on McGill Avenue on the March. Which is why they got a grant. And they yeah. were using us as a little cash cow where we would, they'd lock us in a room and they would get checks. They'd, they didn't have to pay for us because we were through welfare. And... Uh, they would I we'd see them high-fiving each other and doing shit, and we realized this is a fucking scam. We're in a Russian communist system, and we are the department of multiculturalism. So we left. I insisted we change the name to Vice, dropped the O. We all obviously lost our welfare. We were now free market, and that's when we thrived. So we didn't start because of government socialist bullshit. We started despite that shit.
0: I don't know that you've proven that. You by your own account, You went to this company and started the magazine through them because they could pay you through this welfare program. Yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying. The thing that people don't get about Montreal is it's this environment
3: that is like a hand holding people down.
0: I mean, I do remember that it was very hard to work as an Anglo in Montreal, might still be, but that's why programs like the one that you applied for existed and you were happy to benefit from it until you outgrew it. No, we didn't outgrow did. it. We left it. We were, we but you're supposed we quit to quit it because it was a ripoff.
3: It's not like they, they, they released to. us into the sky like a, like a dove and said, go free.
0: They, we broke out of a cage. Good. You're, you're supposed to break out of the cage. You're not supposed to stay out of welfare forever. It's supposed to give you a leg up. You guys are like poster children for government workfare grants. You built a business out of one. It's impl- you're implying that we- a
3: government grant is supposed to help young entrepreneurs train, get on their feet, and then it says, okay,
0: you ready And now? then grow a world-class business. With no help from the government. That's with not nothing- true. You wouldn't have done it if it hadn't been oh, for
3: that. God. You're not on Fox News. They man. did nothing but hold us back. We overcame their scam.
5: You know, there was a lot of drugs but not to the degree that work can get done and Xerox by then had gotten sober so they were they were really productive uh, they met deadlines they uh, satisfied clients needs they paid their bills i mean they weren't they weren't idiots totally totally
2: self determining like i don't give a shit what anybody else thinks i'm going to crush everybody who gets in my way i think that's how people who become super successful That's
4: kind of a common thread. They were very positive people. You know, they come from successful backgrounds. You know, so someone like me, like I don't come from that. For example, at one point they offered me a quarter of the company for like 25 or 30,000 and and I, you know, I turned them down. I mean, you know, I, I thought I'd be throwing my money away. And to be fair, like I didn't want to work that hard. These guys were working, you know, I give them all the credit. They were working like day and night and day and night and day and night.
2: That kind of creation myth as they tell it is certainly not the story as I remember it. Deceit has been a big part of their story from the very beginning. You know, one of the things that Shane started doing right as they became Vice, he was, you know, trying to sell ads. And what he would say, they would he would say, we're distributed across North America. And he would mail one copy of Vice magazine to a skateboarding store in Miami. and a clothing store in San Francisco and, you know, Austin, and claimed technically that they were available across North America. There were no concerns about lying to get the money, right?
3: My job advice was always to keep costs to nothing. So it was like building a tank that when we ran out of money, it could still plow forward because I could just write it all and lay it out and everything. I kept costs to nothing. I would do the pictures and I would do the drawings and I would write under pseudonyms and stuff.
0: So how much of the magazine in those days was actually written by you? I wrote about
3: 80% of it.
0: Uh-huh. And we, you know, we, we tried to get, you, you need more
3: blacks writing, you need more women writing. In order to meet those demands, I eventually just had to become these blacks and women. Yeah. Well, I'd also, the few freelance we did, I'd also force them into my mold.
0: Yeah. Well, people complain that you'd, like, add paragraphs to the. Yeah.
3: And my attitude with that was, if your writing
1: is so shitty that it needs me to add two paragraphs, I can't wait for you to quit. Yeah, he was a disaster in that respect, with no sense of ethics. You know, you don't put your own opinions into your writer's uh, words. You know, you can edit, you can clean up their writing, but you don't change their opinions and then put their name on it. That's piss poor ethics. Yeah, yeah, he
5: did that to me. He did that to me with the blowjob article. Um, and he not only took that away, he wouldn't pay me. He took my uh, my pseudonym. Uh, I wrote it under a pseudonym, Linda Gondal. He took that out, and, and basically put his name on it, you know. And that's just me. So you can imagine how many other people he treated that way over the years.
4: I wrote this article called "Was Jesus a Fag," and it was a pretty popular article. And Bill Maher called Vice and asked, uh, you know, for the uh, the author of the, the article to come on the show. They never contacted me, and they never reached out to me. And the next thing I know, Gavin is on Bill Maher representing my article, which he, you know I, I don't even know if he ever read it, you know. So he made this kind of disastrous uh, appearance on politically incorrect with Bill Maher representing my article, you know. That probably I should have been there. Gavin just kind of drooled all over this woman and and uh, got really drunk and and made a bit of an ass of himself. And that's kind of the beginning of their big media empire.
5: The way they reacted to me wanting money for Dear Diary was to just fire me and hire, you know, Leslie Arfin. <laughs> like, okay. After all those years and after coming up with the idea and, you know, creating a female readership out of it in some ways. And, and uh, that was hurtful. At the time, yeah, it just felt disrespectful because they were blowing up. And everybody around them was like, where's, where's mine? And nobody was asking for much. I didn't want much. But I didn't want them to publish my work and pay me nothing, not even to give me a stipend of 150 bucks. I wasn't even asking for a lot. It was insulting, and at that point, I really did have to say, well, fuck you, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't keep doing this and feeling good about it.
0: So I, I, I doubt you would remember this, but I, I actually did some writing for you back in uh, 98. Are you the one who wanted to do thing about how Jews are superior? Yes. yes. It's called the Jubermensch. Sounds familiar. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So why was that? Did, I, did that bother me? I don't think so. You, you said it was a funny piece, but, uh, but that you don't like Jews. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's funny. I literally said, I do not like Jews. No, you literally said, it's a funny piece, but we don't like Jews. They get enough media attention already. Really? Yeah. Well, that was probably a joke. I thought so. I figured at the time you were just baiting me, but you left just enough room in there for doubt that I could never be totally sure that you were just trolling. No, I think it, the the concept of trolling and just
3: putting something out there to piss people off is a myth. And I don't think you were doing that with your jubermensch
0: thing. You were saying something you genuinely believe. Not really. Uh, it was pretty asinine. Like I, was, I was 20 years old and, and, and trying to write something uh, provocative. Well, you they, they you know, they say with the black market in Russia, the Jews are controlling the Russian economy now, like six
3: of the seven oligarchs are Jewish. But one of the reasons that is is because they were ostracized from the real world and they created a black market out of necessity. And then when
0: the real world collapsed, all we got is the Jew system. It's like the classic anti-Semitic thing of... Uh, the like Jews were forced into money lending because the church wouldn't let Christians lend money uh, for interest for profit. Uh, usury was forbidden, so so Jews weren't allowed to own land. They they got into money lending out of necessity, and uh, and then ended up being ostracized as uh, as Shylocks and parasites. Maybe they were ostracized for a good reason.
4: Definitely, it was all about getting attention, getting a reaction. It was you know it was very much a a teenage boy kind of uh, aesthetic, you know, and and it's an easy enough thing to do. If we put ads with naked women, you know, on the back cover of the magazine and then leave it all around the the women's studies department at Carleton University, we'll get attention, we'll get some kind of reaction.
1: It had to kind of grow into their sensibility, and a lot of that had to do with Gavin McInnes showing up and bringing kind of a raunchier, more provocative, um, un-PC side to things, you know, amusing rudeness.
2: The do's and don'ts, obviously, were... Huge part of that of the early vice, and uh, again, that's just sort of a cruelty in the coverage that was exhilarating, I think, because people didn't say mean things about people in print the way they did and blatantly sexist.
5: Gavin invented uh, that voice of the magazine, not necessarily the magazine itself as it's the business model. You know, everybody knows Shane is the brains behind it, and the music and pop culture. So much of that is steeped through Sarusha's sensibilities. He's always had a finger on the pulse, but the actual glue, the voice itself, the irreverence, the the, the sort of youthful brilliance of it all, the precocity—that's really Gavin McInnes.
0: Maybe one of the only things about Vice that is not disputed, Gavin, is is that you know the, the tone of the magazine, the voice of the magazine. Was your voice? Uh, you were the voice and the public face of Vice for for, for years, and like it, it was such a house style, the Vice tone. It was it was almost like Mad Magazine where everything in the magazine has that one comic voice, like a magazine where uh, I, 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 I know the voice so well, but I can't actually name the name of any one individual writer who, who emerged from it. I mean, like Vice was maybe the magazine for that generation, and I can't name one influential or, or famous or like important writer uh, who came out of it. Oh, well, what about Ryan McGinley? He was a photographer. Like, uh, you had a lot of photographers who came, I mean, uh, McGinley and Terry Richardson. Uh, there's probably some cartoonists who got famous through Vice. Yeah, I never thought about that. Who was a, Johnny Ryan was a cartoonist. Who was a great writer? Uh, I, I can't think of any, but be that as it may, though I don't think there was an influential writer, you had a terrific influence on writing. Like, the do's and don'ts, which you wrote, you know, these... Uh, mean funny little commentaries on people's clothing uh little little photo captions written in a very like conversational tone like that's how everybody writes on the internet right now like that's how like facebook today reads a lot like vice circa 1999.
3: well i think i what i want when i (laughs) i approached writing from a non-writing standpoint a lot of writers who went to journalism school. They, you know, they read Hunter S. Thompson and they had this whole persona built up in their heads. And it was like, it was the same intro too. I woke up hungover, two hours late for the interview. Luckily, Ghostface was late too. Two guys on the same page of shit or something. But that's not <laughs> just, you. you this bullshit. Loser. Just be yourself, go. I was nervous ghost yeah. Ghostface. I'm a huge Wu-Tang fan, fan and then I meet him and he's this old 45-year-old black dude, yeah. just like a toddler who's really into food. He's pretty funny, yeah. And <laughs> I I just would I would say to writers I go, "Just fucking write a letter to your brother and take out the inside jokes. What? Write all caps and like write things like okay." The right one thing I could say about the writing back then and maybe the magazine's influence was that uh we taught people
1: to just write like themselves. Well, my understanding is Gavin's not involved with Vice not at all anymore. There has been there was some kind of a bad breakup.
5: You know, it's a story that I've heard several different versions of over the years, and, and I don't know what's true, so it would be really specious of me to say, well, the reason that they scrubbed him from the mask is this. I have no idea.
2: Knowing that Shane's an asshole couldn't have come as a surprise to him, right? If someone fucks you in that way, if you've seen them do the same thing to like hundreds of other people, you're not going to take it as personally, even if it does mean that your baby is effectively no longer your baby.
5: And I think it is sad that he gets no credit, but I also know, you know, on a a personal level, you know, some of that is is you make your bed, you lie in it. And some of that is that, you know, he poked the bear uh, and just kept poking it. And, uh, And I wasn't horribly surprised, even though I was sad for him to hear that, That that legacy, his own legacy, has been all but erased. But, you know, it's not for nothing. Uh, Shane and Strucci are smart guys, and they're not vindictive.
2: Is it fair that it ended up this way? No. But Vice wouldn't be global if Gavin had been driving it. There's just no way that he could have reined himself in. I think when you're talking about billions and millions of dollars, he would have been a real risk
5: and I and I imagine the story is a little bit more complicated than, than we'll probably ever know until one of them writes about it So I think that there is um some legal uh, blocks that uh, won't allow him to do that in fact part of the deal um I think has you know not only <laughs> he's been erased uh, you know the legacy but I don't think he's allowed to tell his story so that's that's really the ultimate irony isn't it
3: I want my name on this shit I did it yeah like, the only reason I say I invented hipsters is so no one else takes it. But if no one else was claiming it, I would just let it be free. <laughs> you just don't want anyone else to steal your, your legacy, you know? I guess in my old age, I'm regretting being so anonymous and being so anti-individualism uh, because, yeah, it affects your legacy. But I think that vice trying to, their Stalinist revisionism is sort of blown up in their face because it's like saying Vince Neil wasn't in Motley Crue.
0: I guess I mean media people know that you were involved. Well, maybe that, that was you. Do you, you think 20-year-olds don't know who I am? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they know you from your like YouTube videos, but uh, I don't know if they know you from that. I mean, I don't really give a shit.
2: When I First met Gavin, his uniform was a pair of skinny cords, big boots, and a plaid shirt or ripped, stinky t-shirt, facial hair, and tattoos. And now when I walk around London or New York or Toronto or Ottawa or, frankly, Kingston, Ontario, a solid half of the young people walking around. Look like that.
5: It was so cool, but it wasn't trying to be cool. I can't really explain it. And that's what's kind of interesting about the Vice story is that it wasn't like they were trying to be cool. I see it now. I see other people trying to be cool or trying to be like Vice. Even Vice now is trying to be like Vice.
0: What do you think about Vice now? I mean, since, since your departure, it's grown exponentially, and Shane has sort of assumed your role as the, uh, the figurehead, the face, and the voice of the Vice brand. Yeah, I mean, I really can't comment about Vice post-2008. I haven't looked at it.
3: I, don't, I haven't seen the show. I've never been to the site. Um, I would assume, because it was taken over by the head of marketing, that it's focused on marketing and it's low on substance,
0: um, while, while still making the big play for like, you know, respectability, they've grown up, they're doing journalism now. Are we going to do vice this whole interview? No, we don't have to do vice the whole interview. We, we can talk about what you're up to now. You're, you're, uh, you're a dad now you're on Fox news doing punditry. Uh, you do, um, advertising like, uh, in, internet videos. I got three kids and I got a hustle making fucking Vans comedy sketches. Vans, the, uh, the, the skate shoe brand.
3: Well, you got to pay attention to the market, and I think a lot of millennials uh, have just given up. They go, we're not going to have pensions, we're not going to have Social Security, so we want to go to Africa and uh, explore the ecology there, and then maybe just come back and do watercolors with our tits.
0: Are you anti-millennial, Gavin? Yeah.
3: Yeah? Yeah. Um, but, my, you know, I still feel sympathy for them. I just wish they'd get their act together.
0: And... Uh, you just got to keep your ear to the ground and, and get off your lawn get off my fucking lawn it's such a weird thing to hear from the uh, inventor of hipsters it's been a very serious interview
5: Gavin was a, you know, brilliant and so much fun to work with when he was on your side but you know when he's not on your side um, it's, an, it's, it's, it's awful it's just awful and uh, he, you know you leave a bad taste in your mouth and I walked away from there shaking my head and thinking never fucking again. And um, I was bruised by that, but and it didn't have to be that way. You know, that's the that's the bottom line. It never had to be that like that. But with him, you know, for some reason it did, and I can't I can't you know pretend to know why.
2: Shane was ruthless and absolutely determined. It's incredible that exactly what he promised would happen months after he started working with. The voice in Montreal has happened, right? Global domination has happened. The reason it happened is because nothing got in the way of that goal, right? He didn't care who he fucked. Who he destroyed?
4: No, no. Like you know, I know there's people out there walking around going, "Oh, Vice ripped me off," or "Vice took advantage of me," or this or that. Like you know, because uh, maybe they didn't pay all the writers at the beginning, and they're really just babies. Like they were very happy at the time to have a voice that somebody would even publish their stuff. You know, and it was the beginning of that period when people were actually starting to to ask you to write for free. Now it's pretty much the norm.
1: And I think they sort of set uh, a lot of the tone for where a lot of other uh, media and entertainment would go
4: for
2: a print medium. It was very internet, right? It was kind of like internet writing before the internet actually happened.
5: You know, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but I became a writer because of vice. Um, I got an agent after that. I mean, things changed for me. And when that magazine went from Montreal to New York and it blew up, You know, I was part of that uh, on a very small scale for the first couple of years. It makes me proud to be a Canadian and to be part of, its, you know, small, small part of its uh, its origin story. I had the time of my life working and
4: writing for Vice. Overall, my feeling is like, look, those guys worked really hard. They deserve what they have. And, you know, it's an incredible story. And I'm glad to have been a part of it. If, if you could just make sure that that's part of whatever I say, you know, I would really appreciate it.
0: Okay, that's your Canada Land Show today. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca. Come to the website at canadalandshow.com where you'll find archives of all the old episodes and the videos as well. I am on Twitter at jesse brown. I make the show with help from Tanara Yelland, and there will be a new episode of it up on Monday. If you like Canada land, recommend it.